This episode of the EV Resource Podcast is brought to you by Titan Auto and Tire. Titan has some of the very few independent auto repair shops in Central Virginia that are qualified to work on EVs and hybrids. And from hybrids to Hummers, they fix everything. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, go to TitanAutoTire.com. Coming up this week, Tesla loses EV market share in California, Aptera secures a body supplier, BMW's i7 EV is a hit, and more. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 128 of the EV Resource Podcast. I'm Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and interviews with industry experts. I am really excited to share the EV news with you this week, and as usual, there was plenty to pick from. This episode, I picked some news stories that should get you thinking, things that will make you go, hmm. But before we get to all of that, I want to thank John Hurst for upping his support on Patreon. In fact, he's doubled it. So thank you, John. As always, I am humbled and appreciate all the support from everybody that has chosen to do so on Patreon. And if you're curious about how to support the show, I'll have more on Patreon and everything else at the end of the podcast episode. So with that, let's get to the news. First up is a story that has been a long time coming. Tesla's market share for electric vehicles is dropping as competitors begin to offer more EVs of their own. And before getting into the details on this one, I'll save you a little bit of time if you feel like skipping ahead. The next news story starts at 3 minutes and 24 seconds. News agencies are reporting that Tesla's California EV market share is slipping, which is no surprise and really has to happen. Let's think of it this way. If Tesla sells the majority of EVs, let's say around 80% a few years ago, unless they make exponentially more EVs, even while selling more than they did before, they're still going to lose EV market share. The number I'm more interested in would be how many EVs are Tesla selling in California, and that number should go up as more people are switching from gas to electric. And the important number, what is Tesla's market share among all vehicles, regardless of how they're powered? As competitors make more EVs, Tesla's market share can only drop in the EV segment. So let's look at the actual numbers reported by Reuters. They say in 2020, Tesla's EV market share was 79% and has now dropped to 73% this year, its lowest level since 2018. But as I mentioned, what's the number that really matters? Overall market share. The leader in California as of Q4 of 2021 is Toyota with 17.9% of the overall market. But who is number two? Tesla with 10.7% overall market share. And that number has been steadily rising as they currently have the number one and number two best selling vehicles in the state. The Model Y in first place followed very closely by the Model 3. So am I surprised that their EV market share is dropping? No. Does it really matter? Well, to some people, maybe, but to me, again, no. Next, Tesla has found a way to take market share away from its competitors in the Chinese market with price cuts. Last month, Tesla announced some significant price cuts for the Model 3 and Model Y in China. This was important news for Tesla since there have been early signs of a demand slowdown for the automaker, including much shorter delivery times. It's the first time Tesla has actually pulled a demand lever since those signs of demand slowing down appeared. The move was also significant since Tesla only cuts prices in China, which is an extremely important market for electric vehicle sales. 
China's Passenger Car Association released the country's vehicle output for October 2022 and confirmed that Tesla's output out of Gigafactory Shanghai was 71,704 cars, down from 83,000 in September. However, month-to-month is not really the best way to look at Tesla's output in China, which can always be a bit cyclical. Normally, you are better off comparing it to the same month in the previous quarter, and that was July of 2022, which was horrible for Tesla at only 28,000 units due to its factory shutdown. The price cuts were also too recent to have an impact on deliveries, but according to Citibank analyst Jeff Chung, the price cuts are having an impact on demand. In a Thursday report, Chung said that they have checked with dealerships and they believe that Tesla's price cuts have led to, quote, significant order cancellations with competitors, saying, quote, We sense Tesla's recent price cut strategy has created a negative spillover effect where a lot of China EV brands ordered backlog have suffered significant order cancellations, according to our own dealership channel checks, end quote. And he didn't outright name the brands, but companies like Neo, Xpeng, and BYD are seen as Tesla's biggest direct competitors in China. Other automakers should seriously worry about Tesla's ability to seemingly dominate on a whim. And one of the biggest reasons for this, at least from where I'm sitting, is that Tesla has industry-leading profit margins per vehicle, and when they want to or need to, they can cut prices and see demand skyrocket. Other automakers are struggling to build strong profit margins into their EVs, and they don't have that option. Next, Ford dealerships are pushing back against the company's decision to split the company into separate businesses, one for their EVs and one for everything else. Dealers are being given little choice about the future of their vehicle offerings. If they don't want to sell EVs, they don't have to, but they won't be getting access to Ford EVs to sell at all. And those who do want to sell EVs will need to make a significant investment and go through major training. I bet you can guess how I feel about this one without my needing to mention it. Uh, But now, dealer associations in 13 states are pushing back saying that the company's mandates are an unfair burden on the network of Ford dealerships and that the costs associated with the needed changes are, quote, too high, end quote, and violate franchise laws. Officials from select states have voiced their concerns to the automaker, claiming that the 25 EV per year sales cap for lower tier EV dealers in particular is illegal. According to executives from the Southern Automotive Trade Association, the program, quote, fails to make all vehicle models available to dealers on comparable terms and fails to allocate equitable quantities of EVs to Ford franchise to dealers relative to their assigned market areas. Meanwhile, Ford says that the response to its plan has been positive overall and also reiterated that it doesn't violate any laws. A Ford spokesman in a statement said, quote, The Model E electric vehicle program was designed to deliver an unparalleled purchase, service, and ownership experience for customers. Ford engaged with and listened to around 400 dealers in developing the program, which provides flexibility both in terms of enrollment level and timing, end quote. So really, this seems like it's just a few dealerships that are choosing to complain because they don't feel like it's fair. And regardless of whether they think it's fair or not, it looks like Ford is going to continue to move forward with its plans, which personally, I support. I think it was a good idea to separate the EV and the ICE business, kind of make EVs their own thing, and really focus on the customer experience from beginning to end. Ordering, delivery, service, all of it, it's all about the customer and what customers want best. And obviously, companies like Tesla and Rivian and Lucid are showing 
that you don't need dealerships in order to be successful. Ford is paying attention, and they're making the moves that certainly are going to position them well in the future. Now, if you are a new startup company that is working out arrangements and parts deals with suppliers, one of the most important strategic partnerships to lock up would be for your vehicle body and chassis, right? Well, of course. And Aptera has announced that they have signed an agreement with CPC Group out of Italy to produce its specialized composite bodies. Unlike most cars that use metal, typically iron, steel, or sometimes aluminum, for their chassis and body panels, Aptera has chosen to go with a lightweight yet very strong composite that is safe, sustainable, and recyclable. The majority of the body is carbon made up of carbon fiber sheet molding compound combined with glass sheet molding compound. According to Franco Lorio, CEO of CPC, he said, quote, Aptera represents a shift away from conventional thinking of the past. We desire to be a part of this future, which is why we're joining Aptera's movement. We will be building the bodies for their unique solar vehicle in the heart of Motor Valley, allowing Aptera to scale up manufacturing right away to meet the high demand for its first vehicle, end quote. And obviously, Aptera is definitely unconventional. I think that's very clear. And also to clarify, Motor Valley that he referred to there is actually in Modena, Italy. It's not here in the U.S. CPC is based out of Modena. Other manufacturers that also have their base of operations in the Motor Valley of Italy would be Ferrari, Lamborghini, Pagani, I think, and maybe a few others. So this is big that a startup like Aptera is involved with kind of building the majority of their body structure right there among those other manufacturers. And Aptera's co-founder, Steve Thambro, said, quote, When we came together at CPC along with Sandy Monroe, we realized the true synergy where the world's most efficient vehicle can be made with the most efficient process. For several months, our engineers have been working closely with CPC to finalize our Delta design, and now those efforts are being realized as we take an important step forward towards high-volume production, end quote. I think one of the smartest things that Aptera has done was to bring in Sandy Monroe, look at the process, look at how they were uh, planning and building, and really before the vehicles even get produced, make improvements so that when they finally roll off the assembly line, they are the best product available. And the demand is growing, no surprise. Aptera says they currently have more than 70 no, not 70, 37,000 reservations. 70 would be great, honestly, 70,000. Um, but no, just uh, just over 37,000 reservations with deliveries planning to start next year. For more information about the vehicle, you can go to their website, which is aptera.us, not aptera.com. That is a completely different company. And aptera is spelled A-P-T-E-R-A. And after looking at everything, if you are interested in reserving an Aptera for yourself, please consider using my referral link. You'll find that down below in the show notes. Canoe has announced an important partnership for its battery module manufacturing. The company has announced an EV battery module manufacturing facility at Mid-America Industrial Park in Pryor, Oklahoma. The new facility will expand Canoe's manufacturing and employment footprint in the region, Once ramped, the facility will be capable of approximately 320 megawatt hours of battery module manufacturing capacity. That's a lot. 320 megawatt hours. Okay. 
I mean, hey, Canoe is still starting off, but as I mentioned on a previous podcast episode, you know, they've got uh, orders coming in from Walmart and from other companies that are looking for commercial fleet options that are um, in the EV space. So maybe they'll get to 320 megawatt hours of um, battery module manufacturing. That would be really cool. Canoe previously announced that their battery cell supplier would be Panasonic, and the company will begin renovations on its 100,000-square-foot building located on a 10-acre campus in Q4 of this year, so pretty much now or right around the corner, in preparation for delivery of secured manufacturing equipment in Q1 2023. The location in Oklahoma will produce proprietary battery modules on high-capacity assembly lines with state-of-the-art automated machinery. Woohoo! Can you tell I'm reading a press release because they put in stuff like that? I love it. Anyway, I'm going to skip through um, pretty much most of the rest of that because it's filled with press release things. Um, so to kind of break it down, Canoe is solid on their battery modules going to be in oklahoma they're going to be they're going to build a ton and it's going to be great <laughs> and while things are going great for canoe and aptera other companies like arkimoto and arrival are struggling this next story about the latter arrival is one that has me asking is this maybe the end for the company Arrival has now gotten a warning from the NASDAQ stock market exchange because its stock price is trading too low. The company issued a press release Thursday saying it received a notification at the start of the week that it was not in compliance with NASDAQ's requirement to trade ordinary shares above $1 per share for 30 consecutive business days preceding the date of notification. And that news comes just a couple of weeks after Arrival said it will restructure its business for the second time in six months shifting focus away from the UK market to here in the United States, where its first EV vans were supposed to be delivered. Job cuts are expected, although Arrival has not come out with specifics on that yet. And the company said it plans to further, quote, right-size the organization and cut cash intensive activities, end quote, to extend its cash runway, which was $330 million at the end of the third quarter. Arrival has a grace period of 180 days or until May 1st of next year to meet the minimum bid requirement under NASDAQ's listing rules. The company just needs to maintain a closing bid price of $1 per share or higher for at least 10 consecutive business days to get out of the woods. If the company can't raise its share price by May, it may get an additional 180-day grace period if it affects a reverse stock split or stock merge, which consolidates the number of existing shares into fewer, higher-priced shares. So who knows? I do wish them the best of luck, but I definitely have to ask when it comes to the EV market, will we see a departure for arrival? Oh man, that was bad. I should cut it. No, I'm going to leave it in. Hopefully you guys have a smile on your face at my cheesiness. I also mentioned Arkimoto having some trouble. Their share price has also dropped well below a dollar per share. And while I've seen no announcements of warnings from NASDAQ, the company did recently have its shareholders approve a reverse stock split to bring the price of its stock up. And while this certainly can alleviate their concerns of being delisted for now, the company has a lot of work to do to get its stock price up, renew confidence in the company, and get to a point where they are profitable. That being said, in their Q3 earnings call, it did appear that their sales numbers are headed in the right direction. They actually had some record numbers. And 
The company is also expecting a $50 million infusion of cash to keep them out of bankruptcy. So they're not out of the weeds yet, and they've got a lot of hard work ahead of them. But with Arkimoto, as opposed to Arrival, I know the company executives a lot better. I don't know anybody at Arrival. I have talked personally with some of the executives at Arkimoto. So I know them, and I really believe they have the right people in place now to move things forward and get where they need to be. Okay, and the last news story I have lined up for you this week, BMW has a new electric vehicle and one that is being called the best vehicle the company has ever made. They're calling it the i7, an electric version of their top-of-the-line 7 Series, and as such, the the top-of-the-line luxury from the company is coming packed with tech and comfort that most drivers would never experience in their lifetime. Something I've found interesting about BMW's approach to manufacturing is that they made the decision a few years ago to invest in powertrain agnostic vehicle architecture. So the new 7 Series will be available with an internal combustion engine as a plug-in hybrid and as a fully battery electric version. Naturally, we're going to focus on the i7, the fully electric version, because this is an EV podcast. And the i7 has full feature parity with its petrol-powered partner, including a new advanced driver assistance system that lets you cruise hands-free on pre-mapped divided lane highways and has a huge curved theater display for lucky rear seat passengers. BMW has even managed to make the car fun to drive, which honestly, it's an EV, so naturally it's going to be much more fun to drive than the uh, internal combustion engine partners. The electric powertrain tech in the i7 is now somewhat familiar. It's BMW's fifth generation EV powertrain, and it debuted in last year's i4 sedan and iX SUV. There's just a single trim level on sale for now with the i7 for $119,300. It's the xDrive 60. The vehicle uses a 255 horsepower, 296 pound-feet of torque front motor, and a 308-horsepower, 280-pound-feet of torque rear motor, so the combined total output is 536 horsepower and 549 pound-feet of torque. The battery pack has a usable 101.7 kilowatt-hours out of a total capacity of 105.7 kilowatt-hours. And I gotta point out, that is a very, very small margin that they are not allowing us to use, which we have not seen in other manufacturers. So to me, that communicates that BMW is very confident about their battery tech, how it works, and what to expect from it going into the future, which is good stuff. Its official EPA range is 318 miles on the smaller 19-inch wheels and 308 miles when clad with the 21-inch wheels. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it before on the podcast, but the larger the wheel, usually the worse aerodynamics, therefore the less range. And speaking of aerodynamics, the BMW i7 does have a coefficient of drag of just 0.24, which a decade ago, you wouldn't have heard any car just about having that. So that's pretty impressive. It's not quite as low as the EQS sedan from Mercedes, which has a coefficient of drag of 0.2, or the Tesla Model S, which is right there at 0.2 as well. But the BMW has a slightly smaller frontal area than both of those cars. Drag reduction and airflow control explain a number of the i7's styling. Air curtains shape the flow around the front of the car and past the wheels. And an entirely flat underbody, which is normal on EVs, helps the air on its path underneath the car. 
At the rear, there are little edges that emerge from parts of the light cluster to reduce drag. As this translates to passengers and the driver while driving, better aerodynamics mean less wind noise. And obviously, if you want luxury, that is the way to go. The i7 also features cashmere fabric instead of leather, and both front and rear seats are enormously adjustable and will heat, cool, and massage you. I have never had a car that massaged my back while I was driving, and honestly, that sounds pretty good. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't want to drive the i7. And I know that sounds weird coming from me because I love driving, but the rear seat is where you really want to be in this car. There is a big 31.3-inch 8K touchscreen display that folds down from the roof with Amazon's uh, Fire TV that's integrated into it, and it can display content from HDMI sources. So you could hook up, and I know people don't have like DVD players anymore, but you could hook up a DVD player. You could hook up a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever you want, even a Roku probably, and as long as you had internet access, you could stream whatever you wanted on this massive screen in the back seat. Uh, and... <laughs> That's just awesome. You can put on some headphones, uh, a pair of headphones, so one for each backseat uh, passenger. But then there's also some optional in-seat base drivers, or um, we'll call them BAS, big speakers. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to watch a movie, I want to feel the sound as much as I can hear it. So that is really, really cool. So if you want a really cool car with lots of stuff for less than 120 grand then you should definitely check out the BMW i7 and make sure that you find somebody to drive it for you so you can enjoy the literal rolling theater in the backseat. That's all for the news this week, but stick around. There's more to come, including the answer to last week's question of the week. Last week, we talked about Honda and the idea of adding a manual transmission or even simulated manual transmission to their future EVs to give them an edgy feel. I asked you all if you thought Honda should explore the idea, and the answer was an unsurprising, resounding no. Andy Cooper said, quote, make some EVs first, then worry about the frivolous things. This kind of thing is not going to be a differentiator, end quote. And Andy, I completely agree with you. Honda needs to actually just get an EV built here for North America. Uh, the only EV that I know of that they even make is the Honda E, and that is not available here. So let's actually just make some good EVs with some solid range, some fast charging speeds, and get that job done first. John Hurst said, quote, the purpose of buying or driving a car with a manual transmission is so that you as the driver can make sure the engine is making the appropriate amount of power when coming out of a corner or to keep the engine speed low to increase fuel economy. I can't tell you how many times I've been frustrated by an automatic transmission's inability to put the engine at the proper speed for either of those purposes. Neither of these factors are the least bit relevant to electric vehicles. At the very least, having artificial gear ratios is just going to be a distraction and probably make the car accelerate more slowly, end quote. And John, that is spot on. Uh, if you pause to wait for a either real or simulated gear change, you're slowing down. I know a lot of the time when I am um, racing, not racing, uh, <laughs> other people, like from a stoplight, the moment that they have to shift or the car is shifting gears in an automatic transmission, that's where I typically will pull ahead. And then 
it's done pretty much. So couldn't agree with you more. That is absolutely spot on. I think it's a stupid idea. And for companies, especially like Toyota and Dodge to explore that, I'm really going to have to experience it before I come up with a like solid response to this. But without having the opportunity, I think it's a dumb idea. And apparently you all do too. Uh, 100% of the total votes were no. Not a single person voted yes. So uh, let's call that one settled. So the question I'll have for you this week is relating to a lot of the announcements like the BMW i7 of these cars that are coming out that are EVs that are above $100,000. You know, six-figure price tags for these vehicles. Personally, I think we need a lot more affordable EVs. And when I say affordable, I mean under the average price of a new car. And I might even stretch that to say less than $35,000 or less than thirty. dollars um, You know, you could go a couple different ways with that. But the question I have for you all is, at what price point do you think auto manufacturers should be introducing new electric vehicle models? What makes the most sense and what do you think is going to work best, not only for the consumer, but also keep in mind for the manufacturer as well, because they do have to make money or else they're not going to be making them anymore. So head over to patreon.com slash EV resource. The poll will be up there. You do not have to be a Patreon supporter in order to answer the question. So feel free to hop over and engage and give your opinion as well. So that's that. But before we end, I do have a couple of announcements and requests as always. Please share this with your friends and anybody interested in electric vehicles. Leave a review if you would. It's super easy and it definitely helps a lot of other people find the podcast. If you want to listen to any of the previous podcast episodes, you can find them on the EV Resource webpage under the podcast section and on all of the best podcast platforms. If you're looking for more EV Resource content, I encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as sign up for the monthly EV Resource magazine. And if you're on social media, you can find EV Resource there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're all over, and I love hearing what you guys think about the stuff we're putting up there in terms of the latest EV news. I want to thank our Patreon supporters, Rajiv Narayan at the Director Tier, Christopher Lawrence and Andy Cooper at the Executive Producer Tier. And if you enjoy the podcast and feel like I've earned your support, and I do stress earned, this isn't something that I expect you guys to just give away, uh, the best way to show your support would be through Patreon. So once again, that's patreon.com slash evresource. And a lot of benefits for those that are involved. We're growing and it's honestly really exciting to to see the little community i call it our patreon family uh, growing and interacting with each other and it's just a lot of fun so um check that out i also invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com and with that i will end it so thanks so much for being with me and i'll catch you next time